Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Today on Brand Story, Inc., I'm delighted to host Melanie Diesel, the Director of Content at Foundation Marketing and author of the best-selling marketing and business communications book, The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. The Content Fuel Framework is killing it on Amazon. It's a five-star rated book, the number one bestseller in marketing, number one bestseller in business communications. Melanie is an international keynote speaker, skilled virtual presenter, and is recognized as one of the world's leading experts in native advertising and branded content. As a speaker, she's taught marketers around the globe to brainstorm better, think like journalists, and tell better brand stories. She is a member of the National Speakers Association, has graced the stages of industry-leading events like Content Marketing World, Native Ad Days, Social Media Marketing World, Inbound, South by Southwest, and a whole bunch more. Melanie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get to chat. We are too. Uh, let's jump in. I, I want to start with the origin story of this book. What compelled you to write the Content <laughs> Fuel Framework? So the, the book was born out of equal parts necessity and curiosity. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, what I what I found is before the book was written, I was doing a lot of direct client work. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I was hearing very often was, you know, some version of we can't come up with any ideas for hmm. X, Y, Z. And, you know, in the moment when I hear that feedback, I would kind of run, you know, rattle off a couple ideas that came to me. And it seemed as if this was some sort of superpower that folks were like <laughs> baffled how this was happening. Um, you know, and I'm a, I'm a very sort of self-aware, reflective person prone to uh, p- prone to a lot of inward thinking and, mm-hmm. and reflection. And so I realized I didn't actually know how I was doing that. And if mm. I didn't know how I was doing it, then I couldn't teach other people how to do it. And so what what the book is, the system that the book shares was born out of that self-reflection of trying to figure out what is happening in my brain in what order hmm. that allows me to generate ideas for content very rapidly. And it really came down to, you know, something learned from my journalism background, which was what's the focus of the piece? You know, what are we going to talk about? What's the perspective we're going to take? And then what's the best format to bring that to life? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the book, I just break down a system of, you know, here's 10 focuses to consider and 10 plus formats to consider. And the idea there is just we give you, you know, enough enough items in your toolbox to be able to, you know, create 100 plus ideas for any topic you need ideas for. Yeah, I loved it. I love the I love the approach of the 10 focus areas and the 10 formats and, uh, you know, just for our listeners, the 10 focus areas we'll go into, but things like people and the basics, details, history, and formats like writing, audio, yeah. video, image gallery, timelines. And so, you know, with that in mind, you know, this this notion of 10 focus areas and 10 formats and kind of 100 constructs, explain, you know, at the top level what they are and how, how it actually works. Absolutely, yeah. But so, you know, I've had people ask why 10. Honestly, it's a good round number and it covered most of the ones that I think are, are most common and most important. Uh, you know, we could we could sort of go on forever if we wanted to, but nothing will ever be exhaustive. And even if it is, it won't last too long that way. So mm-hmm. 10 and 10 seems like a good place to <laughs> good place to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, basically each focus is really the lens through which you're going to tell your story. So you named a few of them there. 
but the idea being, could we tell this story through the lens of, of people? Or could we tell the story through the lens of the history of this particular topic? Could we tell the story through the lens of data? What's the, the numbers that are surrounding this topic? And then as you, you decide a focus, you then go through the list of formats to, to sort of combine them and say, okay, well, if we're telling a people-focused story, could we do that through writing? Yeah, absolutely. We could write a great profile. Or could we do that through an infographic? Sure, we could create sort of a, a baseball card style infographic about any single person who relates mm -hmm. to this story. You know, could we do it through video or live video or audio? I mean, we're doing kind of people-focused content uh, through audio right now. Mm -hmm. So there's, I think a lot of it comes down to providing you with a list of, of reference ideas to get your brain started. Because truly we have, we already have all of this inside of our brain. I'm not teaching you anything you didn't already know. It's really just a different way of organizing those thoughts and making sure that we're giving your brain enough prompts to think in the direction you want it to. So it's really just a, a great system for kind of getting your thoughts started. Uh, you don't necessarily have to create all the ideas you come up with. You don't even have to necessarily create one of the ideas you come mm -hmm. up with. But if you use this, you can kind of get started and that gives you a great jumping off point, a great list of, of potential ideas that you can continue to, to consider and evolve and hopefully land somewhere that uh, is going to make you happy. Well, you know, I think one of the things I like about the book is the fact that there's, you know, when it comes to content marketing, there's usually two types of books, right? There's the philosophical, you know, bigger picture. And then there's the, you know, tacticals. And, and like this is such a almost a workbooky type style approach, right? The ability to put things into practice. Um, practicing yeah. what you're preaching, which I really like. So I'm curious, what's one of your go-tos in terms of an example um, to succinctly share how you combine a focus and a format? Could you give us an example from either client or maybe pull one from the book? Yeah, sure. So a lot of the, what I tried to do in the book too, was really create a ton of hypothetical examples, mm -hmm. uh, not naming any specific clients, but all different types, because I felt really strongly that I wanted to represent a bunch of different industries and, and different types of businesses so folks could sort of see themselves in it and mm -hmm. see how it could work for them. Um, but, you know, one of my favorites is to think about uh, audio. I personally love audio. I know we're, we're in uh, a long, a long curve of audio having mm -hmm. its moment, right? There's a lot of, a lot of buzz and, and interest around podcasts still uh, over the last few years. And I think this is, you know, sort of an overlooked opportunity for a lot of brands because we think of audio as meaning only a podcast, right? It's mm -hmm. often synonymous in our head that mm -hmm. every piece of audio needs to be either one person pontificating or, you know, a conversation mm -hmm. like we're having here. But it, it really can be so powerful when you expand what you consider audio to be and, and how you might leverage audio for your business. So uh, some, some really creative examples I love here is, you know, you could be, if you're a coffee shop, the ability to sort of stream the sounds that are happening inside of your coffee shop, because a lot of people, mm love that soundscape mm -hmm. for getting work done. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing allows people to, to hear what's going on, the culture, the, you know, the, the sound, the experience of being there. If mm -hmm. you're, you know, maybe you're an NGO and you're working on, on some sort of environmental work. Well, why don't you let people hear the sounds of the birds in the forest that you're mm -hmm. trying to save? Or what does it sound like as the fire is crackling that's, you know, working its way through this environment? You know, what do these these endangered animals sound like when they're you know making whatever noises those <laughs> endangered animals make right mm -hmm. i think there's you know when you start thinking about manufacturing or, or products 
there's even more opportunity. How nice would it be to not have to make sounds like a doofus when you need to talk to your mechanic about something <laughs> and instead have sort of a list of sounds you can point to to say it sounded just like this. So I think there's just a lot of, you know, a lot of overlooked opportunity for audio in particular uh, to really push the boundaries of, of what we think of audio as, you know, not not just a podcast, but truly you know, some, some innovative ways to share soundscapes with our audience. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. We, you know, to your point, like I was in a meeting last week in our own company at Teamworks Media, and we we're having this conversation about, a, you know, kind of how to supercharge our own content marketing and this podcast being one of the centerpieces of it, right? It's just yeah. the, there's a depth that goes into it too, right? There's the focus, you've got your, you know, both the focus areas and the formats, but then within the actual um, focus area, right? So if you take a podcast, just this notion of the amount of content that we're, we were leaving on the table, right? So huh. we talk about, um, morning musts which which we'll get to right like morning routines and and you're one of the i think this is the 68th episode right and so there's 68 different people sharing those morning routines it's like yeah it's pretty interesting when you start looking at them and ranking what the number ones and top like that's content right just each of these questions and and how you can actually book recommendations and things like that there's there's so yeah. many different things that are kind of part of the ethos of this content marketing community that you know, this notion that you do a podcast for 30 minutes and it's a piece of content is such a flawed um, piece, right? Because people think, oh, I got to go yeah. market it and use different platforms to get people to listen to it. But the discrete pieces of the podcast and then the craziest thing, Melanie, is the fact that my team asked me to put together because no one on our team had put all the different pieces together in one place of everything that mm -hmm. goes into a podcast. The preparation, the you know, the email outreach to somebody, the research, the questions, the you know, the the, the prep, the producing, and then the promotion, right? And mm -hmm. if we want to use alliteration there, and it was, I, I, <laughs> it's so far, it's like forty-five pages, single spaced, yeah. just writing that down, and you just, it's just amazing. Like I think people hear podcast, and it's the notion of. Oh, it's not that hard. You get a recording device, you do it, you put it out there, and there's so you know there's so much more that goes into it to true to truly harness it. And so I think that's kind of the thing that I love about this because when you zoom out and look at your focus areas and your formats and you multiply them, this is a framework for quite literally living up to the name unlimited story ideation, right? Unlimited yeah. story ideas. So love that. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, oh. it's cool. You know, it, it, that's really how my brain works. You know, it's not necessarily a, a force thing for me, mm -hmm. which is kind of nice. So like when you just said, you know, I'm the six, 68th person to have a morning routine, my brain said, well, we can make a timeline of that and show which activities happen most often at which hour, you know, when mm -hmm. do people get up? When do they have breakfast? When do they, I don't know, meditate, journal, yep. whatever it is. Yep. We can make an infographic sharing which percentage of us you know, how many of us express that we meditate or journal or, yep. I don't know, go on a run or whatever else, you know, you could do, I guess, audio, you could sort of supercut all of those clips together and, and have one piece that says, you know, 68 experts share their morning routine. You know, yep. There's so many different ways, yep. just going through that list of, of focuses, going through that list of formats that you could turn that one sort of stub of an idea of we have 68 morning routines and turn it into so many different options for how you could repurpose and, and tell that story in different ways. See that, what she did? Just modeling it in real time. <laughs> Melly Diesel, the pro, 
author of the Content Fuel Framework, just took one question that we have every week and turned it into like seven pieces of content right there before your eyes. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, so let no me ask pressure. you this. No pressure. Anytime you put a book out into the world, there's a part of you, I'm guessing, that likely feels confident, pretty confident, what's going to resonate, the parts that will resonate. Mm -hmm. But then probably there are surprises that emerge from readers on things that hit that you weren't expecting. I'd be curious to hit on that, if there's if there's something or one thing that's kind of come back uh, and the feedback that's been a bit of a surprise for you. Well, I don't know if this is necessarily what you're going for, um, but one of the things that I, I had a hard time with when I was first creating the book is, you know, I have a, I guess you would say I have like a very distinct writing voice and that I write very much how I talk. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to make sure that parts of me and my personality and, you know, the the way that I, I joke around was, was all represented there, but I also didn't want it to get in the way of mm -hmm. people's understanding or learning. And so I tried to relegate my, uh, my asides and my, you know, silly personality, I guess, to the, to the footnotes. <laughs> and I figured, you know, maybe some people will see it and maybe some people won't. And the amount of people who have reached out to me purely based on, I saw this footnote, I didn't realize you also went to this school or mm -hmm. that's so funny. That also happened to me. So that was a cool moment for me to feel like even though I had in some ways sort of suppressed uh, my instinct to go all out with, uh, with the more personal narrative side of things that, you know, I was still able to connect with people on that personal level. Uh, that made me really happy. Well, I mean, I think it's really cool too, because to your point, you do come across the way that you talk and that's <laughs> brand voice, right? Like yeah. a very distinct brand voice, which I think when, when you use humor or self-deprecation, people give a much, longer leash. They give you creative, like the human factor on it. So it's, it's super cool. So if you want to see Melanie, you can see her in person. I believe, will you be in person at Content Marketing World? I should be. Okay. That's the hope, right? That's the hope. Uh, so quick break to promote Content Marketing World. Content Marketing World brings together brand marketers, agencies, content creators, creative designers, communications professionals like Melanie and more for practical learning and a healthy dose of inspiration. This year, it will be live in Cleveland and virtual from September 28th to October 1st with plenty of content and networking opportunities before and after. Brand Story Inc. listeners get $100 off either in-person or on virtual tickets by signing up at contentmarketingworld.com and typing in the promo code BRANDSTORY100. So you are one of the headliners at Content Marketing World where some 3,000 people are expected to convene on all things content marketing. And I just think, you know, we're all going to just be nerding out to be among people, right? I mean, how fun will this yeah. be? And I know oh many, lis many listeners are aware of this industry headline event. Some are not. But as we look to content marketing world as the tentpole event in the industry, I'm curious what you're seeing right now in the spring of 2021 as where we are as an industry as a whole. Oh, man, there's so many uh, possible trends and roads we can go down. I think one of the things I have been really heartened to see is that the last year going through this this pandemic sort of, I think we've seen a greater shift in the content that I'm seeing toward sort of utility and value. I think people realize that in the absence of in-person mm -hmm. brand touch points, that the ability to provide some sort of value uh, to your audience, whether that's like tutorials or, you know, guides of some kind, walking people through steps in a process, that sort of process focused instructional content uh, has really 
sort of had its moment. And I think people are seeing the value of that type of content, not only in terms of value provided to the audience, but value in terms of what it can do for your search as well. You know, people are searching for how to do things. It's one of the, the top types of searches, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're creating content that is teaching your audience how to do relevant things, it becomes obvious to the audience that you are an expert here. You are someone to be trusted on this topic, that you you walk the walk. You're proving that you are an expert, not just claiming it, right? Yeah. So I think that's really the, the the big opportunity that I've seen and, and been lucky that, or you know, excited to see that so many brands have capitalized on that and not let that moment pass them by. You know, I mean, at Foundation Marketing and, and Teamworks, we do content. We both do content marketing. I'm curious. One thing that I saw to your point was I saw a shift in T&E budgets especially from small businesses and by small, like the five to $50 million businesses where I got a couple calls from people being like, Hey, Charmin, you know, uh, that content marketing thing you're always talking about. I, I'm kind of interested. I have no other way to get in front of people. I can't go mm-hmm. golfing. I can't take people, take people yeah. out. I got to find a way to get in front of them and let's talk. And, and I'm curious if you saw, um, you know, whether from pre-working at foundation marketing or working now at foundation, foundation marketing, if you've seen, is it has it has there been trends by business size across the board? Mm-hmm. What what are you seeing? I, mean, I think you're you're spot on in that, you know, while we don't always on the agency side know where the budget we're getting is coming from, mm-hmm. uh, I think we've seen overall a trend that lets us draw some 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 smart assumptions, which is that there are a lot of types of advertising, you know, tactics that folks mm-hmm. use that prove to be less efficient and or less measurable given you know, what we've all gone through over the last year. And so Mm -hmm. we did see shifts away from things like out of home. We Mm -hmm. saw shifts away from some of these, uh, the live event sponsorships, obviously, and Mm -hmm. and things like that, you know, budgets that would have been spent on trade shows, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all of that had to be reallocated somewhere. So we did see, at least initially, there was an uptick in direct home, you know, direct mail, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. Folks are are stuck at home. We might as well reach them there. Um, But yeah, we did see, uh, shifts toward content and then toward more uh, sort of heavier spending on, on things like PPC and, and some of the other paid tactics uh, just to, to make sure we were still reaching people when uh, they couldn't come to us. So I think I think it's made some people really start to reevaluate where their spend is happening and what's actually working for them. And hopefully that, that bodes well for, for content marketers that we can uh, continue to have some budget to do you know, what we think is what we think is going to help the brands the most. And I think a big part of that also came from the fact that as soon as, you know, the, the pandemic hit, there was suddenly a tremendous need for content in mm-hmm. so many different ways. Yeah. We needed, you know, we needed communication with our audience around changes. We needed to communicate with our audience around safety. We needed to demonstrate, you know, that we were following certain protocols. We needed to update web copy and imagery to reflect the new reality. I mean, there was a surge of content needs when this all first came out. Even, you know, if you want to get nitty gritty down to branded signs that you have to wear a mask or Mm -hmm. socially distant or Mm -hmm. stickers for the floor. I mean, we needed a lot of messaging really quickly. And so I think it has helped a lot of businesses see that content isn't something that, you know, it's a nice to have for sure, but in many situations, it's a must have. And so hopefully we see that, that mentality and that appreciation for what content can do extend beyond. So kind of conversely, what do you see right now in spring of 2021 as one of the bigger challenges for the content marketing industry? Mm, This is sort of an evergreen challenge, but I always expect it to expect to stop hearing about it. And I never do. So this is a, this is an evergreen one for sure. 
I think there's still a tremendous amount of pressure to to be everywhere, to be creating mm -hmm. content for every platform. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a year or so ago, the panic around TikTok and do I need to be on there? Yep. And what should I create? And do I have to dance even though I'm a mortician? Like, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, concern and stress there. And I think, you know, uh, the rise of Clubhouse over the early part of 2021 yep. and, and late 2020 kind of reignited that conversation. And I think it just, it's that, that ever present fear of like, oh my gosh, there's one more platform. It's one more thing I have to create one more, you know, set of specs I have to adjust for, yep. you know, it's just, it creates so much pressure for folks. And I find myself having that conversation still about the fact that we need to identify which platforms are going to be most strategic for distributing your content you know, which are most strategic for hosting original content and that there's value in both. And there's also value in saying no to certain yes. things because every minute you spend, you know, rehearsing TikTok dances or, <laughs> you know, trying to find someone to invite you up on stage on Clubhouse, that's that's time that could be spent on something you already know works. I'm, I'm certainly not anti-experimenting or anti-finding right. new, new platforms that work for you, but certainly doing it just to check the box for the sake of doing it is not a place where we want to be. No, it's, it's so well said. I see that quite a bit as well. So our audience loves case studies. I'm more curious about a workshop or a client relationship where you use the content fuel framework to help them unlock a sea of content ideas that you especially like to share. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to dance around this one a little bit because, you know, NDAs, we all, yeah. we all deal with it. Um, but I can tell you, I was working with a, a large, a fortune 100 company in the tech space. And uh, they had me come in and, and run a workshop on the content fuel framework to work with some folks who are not generally in the idea generation space. You know, we, mm -hmm. we often have content marketing PR folks who, who may be comfortable with that, mm -hmm. but we also have folks internally who may not be set up that way, but still can, can add a lot of value by learning how to tell their stories and, and assisting those comms folks in telling stories. So mm -hmm. in this case, I was working with event professionals, uh, product leads, uh, internal sales, sales and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, product management teams and talking to them about how they can tell different stories about their product. So it was really fun because we were able to, to sort of not worry about the audience because in this case, our audience was generally internal. How do mm -hmm. we, how do we craft stories about our team, our department, our product, our initiatives that allow us to be a part of that broader company conversation, you know, that helps our colleagues understand what we do, that helps demonstrate the impact of the work that we're doing and that is kind of a, a fun opportunity for me because i think you know generally speaking most of the content marketing that i work with is is you know external facing it's yep. for the audience the clients the prospects the you know customers so it was really fun to get to work on something that was internal facing and feeling like help, you're helping this team to to communicate with one another better and that can have such wide-reaching effects in, in the way that that story as a brand ultimately gets shared widely. Yeah, you know, you hit on an important point. I, I always think like sales teams are like the forgotten gold of content yeah. marketing, right? Like the guys, you get sales teams in the room and they're just like, well, here's what customers say. It's just such a gold mine to hear from the front lines, right? The questions mm -hmm. that they ask. And I'm always amazed at how few companies actually pull, like you just said, pull folks like that, that into the room because they're just um, an incredible asset when used the right way, something, a tool yeah. like you have. 
Absolutely. And, you know, if, if you haven't done this, then like, this is your, this is your command. This is your homework, (laughs) you know, connect. If you're a content marketer, connect with that sales team or the customer service team is another sort of hidden Uh well of, of really great ideas. Talk to them about the questions they answer often, you know, create content that can help them, you know, save, save some time on that front. Ask them about misconceptions or, or misunderstandings that customers often have or prospects often have. So you can help clear that up on the messaging side of things. Yeah, talk to them about what they're hearing from customers and how you can create content that feeds into that or, or counteracts that or amplifies that, whatever makes the most sense. I think, you know, we, like you said, we kind of miss that huge opportunity right under our nose. And talking to customers is, is part of everything. Every strategy we build at Foundation, mm-hmm. we, we typically have customer surveys for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk to different stakeholders internally for that reason because there are so many ideas already, you know, floating around in your team's head. And we just want to extract those and, and make best use of them. Well, I've used, as you've listened to feedback and put your book into practice, I'm guessing there's quite a bit of content coming back at you that a seed of a 2.0 version could be done mm-hmm. probably soon. I'm, I'm curious, now that you've been out there, put this book into practice, have had success with sales, what are the types of things that you think you'd put in a 2.0 version and why? a really good question i think i'm actually focused on on sort of the next evolution of it rather than sort of a revised and updated Mm -hmm. i think one of the things that came out of this book is a lot of people telling me okay i've got lots of ideas but i'm less clear on how i can use them to tell you know to integrate with my broader business strategy and so since we've got the since we've filled the coffers you know you've got tons of ideas now uh, the next the next book uh, is going to be about how you can how you can make sure that aligns with your business values and how you can use storytelling to to prove out your ba- your values as a business and, and choose the ones that are going to make the best case for why you are worthy of your audience's time, money, and attention. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Well, you're currently working at, at Foundation Marketing, content marketing firm. Unsurprisingly, putting these tips into practice. And I read a recent article uh, on your content hub about. The ideal structure to content marketing teams that had, quote, creator, optimizer, and distributor, end quote. I love the simplicity of this. Explain it for our audience. Yeah. So, you know, this was a really interesting piece. And again, check out the the labs blog on, on foundationinc.co. We've got all kinds of cool resources like this one. And we were really trying to address the question, which we get often, which is like, how do I structure my content team? How many people do I need? Mm-hmm. And what's the, what's the structure like? And as with literally everything in marketing the answer is it depends right (laughs) so uh our thought was how do we boil this down into its most essential parts and that's where this idea of you know sort of purpose-based roles rather than necessarily title-based because Mm -hmm. the titles and and you know responsibilities for some of these individuals are going to vary based on the resources you have as an organization you know how many people you're you're able to bring on board you might have someone serving multiple roles but the idea here is that you need to clearly identify someone who's going to own each of those three areas, uh, you know, or, or own multiple, I suppose, mm-hmm. uh, but make sure that those three bases are covered. Uh, and the idea was hopefully by, by having that as your framework for building out a team, it's a system that you can adapt for whatever your resources allow for. So if you, you have a big team and a big budget, then, you know, maybe you have multiple people in each role. If you have a, a smaller team and a smaller budget, then maybe that means you're designating certain people who are working on other things to, to have this as a second charge, uh, have one or two of these areas as a second charge. And I think 
ultimately that to me is, is one of the biggest and most important things uh, to address when we're talking about content marketing is how to make it scale for your resources. Because I think marketers, we kind of have this tendency to turn to uh, the big brand darlings when it comes to case studies and examples. Uh-huh. And, you know, not everybody is Red Bull or Coca-Cola uh-huh. or Oreo or, you know, whoever else you're quoting these days or, or citing these days. And so it's important to make sure that when we are giving this kind of advice as experts, you know, as, as professionals in the space, we need to make sure we're accounting for the fact that, you know, there are plenty of talented creators, talented marketers who are making magic happen on a zero dollar budget. You know, the data shows that there's actually, you know, a large amount of uh, a vast majority of, of the marketers are, are out there creating content with less than a hundred thousand dollars a year. So we have to make sure that our ideas and, you know, the, the advice we're giving, the tools we're sharing, keep that in mind because ultimately we're not really practicing what we preach if we're putting stuff out that our audience can't well, use. I love that framework because to the, to your point, it applies to so many different organizational structures, right? And types. And I, and yeah. I ask that question all the time. And so kind of with that as a backdrop, I, I am curious, you get to work with a lot of brands in the B2B space <laughs> and ones that quote unquote get it. Are there yeah. certain things that you're seeing in terms of how they're structured in-house versus what they're doing out of house and what that map looks like for folks that are that in your mind and however you want to put it are are doing very well yeah well you know there's always uh as we said there's always a bit of flex and i've seen a lot of different structures work in their own way just depending on what those needs are um but one thing that i have loved to see is a lot of the brands that uh, we're privileged to work with and that are doing well in this area they have someone in-house who has what i would consider to be a very editorial title something that you would expect to see at a magazine or a newspaper Mm -hmm. so that might be something like you know Mm editor-in-chief whereas we might think you know director of content marketing or or something similar you know editor-in-chief it's someone from an editorial background maybe a, a former journalist or something who's really bringing a different sensibility to the work that's being done and that is always a wonderful sign for me because i think when you have uh, you know, it does a couple things. It it makes sure that someone has sort of a a content creator conscience and content mm-hmm. that might otherwise shift just a little too far towards sales, right? Where it's mm-hmm. no longer offering value to the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in cases where you know less branded or or a half step away might provide better value and better achieve the goals. So I love having sort of an editorial conscience in that process. But it also makes sure that there's someone leading the charge internally who truly understands the value of storytelling and can really help bring other people on board. Because I think when you have, you know, a natural storyteller, their belief in the power of content is so, so deep Uh and so strong that it even signals internally by having a title like that, that we're focused on the quality of what we create, not just the quantity. Mm -hmm. That It really is about how can we create something that we can be proud of that our audience can find valuable that can serve our broader business goals. So that's something I always love to see. If I get to work with an editor of some kind internally at a brand, mm-hmm. I, I generally know that it's going to be a, a good working relationship and that we're going to share a lot of values and priorities. And that's always, uh, always a big help. Awesome insight. Well, now we flip to you on a segment I call morning musts where we peek into your email mm-hmm. inbox and social feed to learn how Melanie Diesel stays on top of things in the content marketing industry. Do tell. 
Oh my goodness. Well, you know, I don't know that I would say I stay on top of everything. I've got a toddler, so every morning looks <laughs> looks different over here. But in an ideal world, in a in a world where everything goes according to plan, uh, you know, I, I have a couple things that are super helpful for me. I drink coffee more as a ritual than as a stimulant. So I actually drink decaf coffee, but there's something about that cup of coffee in the morning that really helps me switch mm -hmm. gears and feel like it's time to get moving. So mm -hmm. that's something I always try to work in um, just to kind of signify the change in the day. Yeah. Um, I feel the same way about getting dressed, especially work from home. Mm -hmm. It can be really tempting to, you know, stay in pajamas or mm -hmm. leggings or sweatpants or whatever else you want to wear. Um, but I think sometimes putting on work clothes, whatever that is for you, uh, it really helps adjust mindset from, you know, hmm. home and, and relaxing to, okay, I'm in, I've got my, I've got my business clothes on, you know, it's time to, time to go to work, sort of like a mental briefcase yep. that signals, you know, we've shifted gears here. So that's, that's definitely something that's important for me. And beyond that, I, I use a number of different tools uh, for automation and, and task management that, you know, I don't know what the heck I would do. You'd probably never hear from me again if they shut some of these tools down because my life would just go up in flames. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> Todoist is is something I rely on really heavily for uh, managing tasks and timelines. Okay. Uh, I also we use Trello at uh, at Foundation that mm -hmm. is, you know, kind of organizes a lot of our client work. So that's, that's a tool we really love. Um, and I think, you know, those two things combined with, you know, my Google Calendar, which is the be all end all. If it's not on there, it's not happening. Mm -hmm. uh, that is is really the closest I can get to a system that lets me feel like I'm I've got it together most days. Super cool. And then for fun, and by the way, Melanie Diesel, if you want to follow her on your feed on Twitter, she's at M as in Mary D E Z I E L at M Diesel. Bedside book stand. You got a toddler, so this is an unfair question. You, we can expand <laughs> it to Netflix or any other, you know, take me away from work um, creative endeavor. But I usually ask people if there's a book next to your bed that you've read of, of note of recent vintage that you would recommend to this audience for just for fun. You know, yeah, just for fun. I think one of the things that I have really enjoyed is, is again, reading books out, like you said, outside of, mm -hmm. of the typical marketing fair, because it may, helps me think differently. Uh, two books. Can I do two? Is that sure, allowed? Sure. You're allowed. Okay. <laughs> uh, one I read recently was called Because Internet, and it's by Gretchen McCullough. I think I actually hmm. tweeted about it just today. Um, you know, this is a book that, that really explains sort of the development of internet speak and memes and uh, emoticons and things like that. And it really examines it from a linguistic perspective and helps you see it as, you know, a, a language with its own rules and, and values and not just some sort of silly thing, little pictures and whatnot. So that was super helpful. Uh, just again, you know, understanding the use as it were um, and seeing, you know, from a, from a cultural standpoint, how we developed to a place where, you know, we're using uh, acronyms and, and emojis <laughs> as stand-in for language and, and why that works and why it's okay. Uh, because it is, it does have linguistic rules around it. So uh, that that was super interesting Very for me. Cool. Um, and another book that I really love that that changed the way I think about a lot of things was called Invisible Women. Hmm. And I don't I don't actually know the author's name off the top of my head. I'll post um, it. But yeah, but it's uh, this book is all about how sort of the hidden gender bias in a lot of the data sets that we use. And hmm. it points out gaps that we never would have thought of. So uh, this is one of my favorite examples. Every uh, car safety rating you've ever seen truly only applies to men because they only use 
uh, dummies that have male proportions uh, and, and shapes uh, wow. when they do the car testing. And they only test women if they do it voluntarily. It's not required. If they have a female dummy, it's only in the passenger seat. Wow. So, you know, this creates, you know, an unintentional side effect, but this creates situations where, you know, women die more often or sustain heavier injuries in the same kind of, uh, the same kind of accidents, you know, or seatbelts don't necessarily work as efficiently because they fall in, in different parts of the body. So those kind of things, it really, you know, it's, uh, it's not sort of a, a bra burning feminism book for, for folks who may mm-hmm. be intimidated by something like that, but it really does kind of open your eyes to examining the data that we're using and making sure wow. that we're accounting for, you know, gaps that could otherwise render whatever we're talking about totally invalid. Um, really some some shocking stuff in there uh, the other fun fact was uh, they typically use men for determining the right dosage of, of medications hmm. so this could account for you know if you right. think about it you know you think about a medication in your life it's like your your 16 year old daughter who weighs 100 pounds yeah. takes the same dose of medication that you as a maybe i don't know 250 adults mm-hmm. you know takes and you're six and a half feet tall. You know, it's it's yep. kind of wild if you think about it. So it was just one of those things that really, really changed the way I think about data and how, you know, data isn't always uh, telling us what we think it's telling us. And that, to me, is a, is a mind shift that I think is important for marketers. Well, Melanie, uh, can't thank you enough for joining us. Before you go, direct people to the best places for them to get the Content Fuel Framework book. Absolutely. So if you head to contentfuelframework.com, uh, there you'll get the lineup of all the links so you can pick and choose what makes sense for uh, for your subscriptions, for your buying uh, your buying preferences. Uh, we do have an audio book if you don't mind listening to me speak at you for a few more hours. <laughs> uh, you're welcome to check that out on Audible. Um, and, you know, if you want to learn more about me, my website is uh, storyfuel.co. That's where you'll see all the things that I'm up to, the ways I'm helping people tell better stories personally. And if you want to learn more about what we're up to at Foundation and how we help B2B and SaaS companies uh, tell better stories themselves, you can check us out at foundationinc.co. Melanie Diesel, thank you so much for joining us. I know you've been on more than 100 podcasts in your time, and we are pleased to add to that number. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for letting me share my story. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc., We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.